Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated, or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there, I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Today, I'm talking with a friend of mine, Emily Lynn Paulson, who's the author of a powerful memoir about her life, her family, her successes and struggles, excessive drinking and disordered eating, and her realization that drinking wasn't working for her anymore, that it was a problem, and that she needed to start and rebuild her life without alcohol. Her book is Highlight Real, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. And what we're going to talk about today is a topic that I think is really important to a lot of women, which is the truth behind those online drinking highlights. We want to get real because I know so many women who realize that they have a problem with drinking who say, Why can't I drink like everyone else? Why can't I go out on a date night with my husband and have a cocktail? Why can't I be like those people in those pictures with their friends having a beer or going to a wine bar and having a glass of wine? And the truth is, we have no idea 
what anyone else's relationship with alcohol looks like or feels like behind the scenes. So many women struggle with drinking and have so many lowlights associated with alcohol in their lives. And yet all you see and all you hear about is the highlight reel. And one of the things I love about Emily's book is that she does get real. She gets incredibly honest and has a real ability to show everyone that what looked so good on the outside was really somewhat painful on the inside and a slippery slope that I know so many of us have gone through and that life is better on the other side. Emily is also a certified professional recovery coach. She's a She Recovers designated coach. She's a This Naked Mind certified coach. She's the founder of the Sober Mom Squad and a member of the long-term recovery community. She's appeared on media outlets, including The Doctors, Parade, Today's Parents, and USA Today, discussing how to end the shame and the stigma of mental health and substance use disorder. And Emily, I am so grateful that you are here to talk about this. It's such an important topic. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So just to get started, I know a lot of people listening to this podcast may not know about your book or what's it about. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I really never set out to write a book. Initially, this was random musings and journaling. Uh, When I came to recovery, I was just really navigating my way through how the hell did I get here? And journaling was really a part of my process. And I've always been a person who's journaled. I've been a person who's written letters and, you know, I get my feelings out on paper or on the computer. And so this was just really a helpful process for me. So over the course of two years, as I started unraveling, you know, one thing to the next, once I stopped drinking, I started feeling these feelings and I had to work through those feelings. And then from those feelings, I figured out what they came from and so on and so on. I was left with this really 40 year (laughs) stream of consciousness of my life. And I thought memoirs, books, all the self-help information out there, podcasts, websites, groups had been so helpful to me and other people's stories were so helpful to me. And I knew there had to be someone else out there with a story like mine. And so I just thought, I'm going to put this in the book and I'm going to put it out there. And the other part of it too was so much of this had been so, so much shame and and hiding and secrets. And I found the more I shared, the more I connected with other women, the more I felt free and the more that I saw it helped other people, even if it was one person and one part of my story. And so I knew that it was important to just have it out there. I had done the secrecy thing. I'd done the lying thing. And so for me, I just went full opposite into like brutal honesty. And that's kind of how the book came about. Yeah. And I do think it's so helpful because, you know, one of the things that I think is powerful in the book and as you go through all the struggles that you've had and and you are absolutely not alone in any way. You know, you talk about disordered eating, you talk about difficult relationships and your part in it. You talk about caring what other people think about you so much 
that you do lie and embellish, you know, an affair, which is incredibly hard to talk about a DUI, which I know a lot of women have had and feel immense shame about it, even postpartum depression. And, you know, what is a really hard thing to be a mom? I mean, you have five kids, I have two, and um, I can't even imagine how difficult five is. We love them, but it is not all, you know, ponies and unicorns, right? But in the book, you do go back to the stats, right? Because you're not alone. So, you know, the percentage of people in marriages in the US who've had affairs, the amount of the population who have addiction issues and who have disordered eating. And I think that's wonderful. What made you decide to do that? So for me, when I was looking at, again, like, how did I get to this place? How did this sneak up on me? Well, when you read the book and when I look through my history, nothing snuck up on me. It was always there, but it's really hard to see when you're in the middle of it. And I have, I do have like a science background. I have a science mind and I like to know facts and figures behind things. And if you tell me something like, I want to read the textbook about it, I, I need to know the, the real story. So it was important for me to see, I think at first that it wasn't all my fault. And I know when, when you're dealing with shame, reading other people's stories is so powerful because you know you're not alone. And also it's not just some moral defect within you. And that's how I felt like, what is wrong with me personally? This person here, like what's wrong with me? And the reality was it wasn't anything wrong with me. I was drinking a substance that makes you addicted. Like I was using all these behaviors that were coping mechanisms. Like this was learned behavior. So it was really important for me to learn statistics and science behind it. So I wanted to add that to the book because really the book was a process of how I worked through things. And I think that's so important too, for people to realize, yeah, this is not your fault. You can see patterns. You can see where it popped up. You can see where you fell prey and what your part was, but you know, there is so much to this. It's so multifaceted. So that was really important to me to share. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah, and you're completely right. I mean, we drink and we use other coping mechanisms that are maladaptive and really harming ourselves for a reason, right? Whether it is 
um, because of societal pressure and encouragement to drink, which I truly believe, and it's proven that alcohol is an addictive substance, and anyone with enough prolonged exposure to it is going to go down the path of being either habitually or physically or um, mentally dependent on it. That's what it's designed to do. Um, but also the, you know, societal pressure, societal pressure and messages that you need to be thin, that thin is better. It's more desirable. You are a person with discipline and who's more successful than other people. Pressure to present your best self. You know, you talk about competitive parenting, which falls on mothers. This is a difficult situation and something that really forces a lot of women or encourages them to go down a path of unhelpful behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where the, the social media and the pretty pictures on the outside really comes to play. And what's really harmful, you know, it's hard enough to look at social media and see everyone's vacation pictures. I mean, there's no vacation pictures right now. Like, I feel like this has been one of the benefits of the pandemic. It's this equalizing, no one's doing anything fun, you know? Um, but it's easy to look at, at someone's picture and say, oh gosh, she looks so good in that dress. Oh, you know, maybe if I lost five pounds or you, you see, you automatically see the comparisons, but again, you're, you're not seeing what's going on, on behind it. And, and the really damaging piece is when you are comparing yourself to yourself. So here I was, again, I was sharing all the positive things, pictures, the beautiful family, the um, successful, you know, work trip or, or whatever it was, my, my happy smiling picture with my husband when we were like going through hell and wasn't showing what was behind it. And so I wasn't even meeting my own expectations of myself when you get in this comparison trap of yourself, it's really, it's really damaging mentally to yourself. Absolutely. Well, and you write, um, one of my favorite, I loved the whole book, but um, in chapter 15, you talk about projection game and you write about that. You say how your husband, Kale, looked over your shoulder as you posted a picture on Instagram and said, you know, those little squares aren't real. But then you wrote that you found comfort in those beautifully filtered pictures, knowing they showed you at your best. And that's what you wanted, a family that functioned at its best. You wanted the life you wish you were living, which you were putting out there, a happy marriage, a healthy wife, happy motherhood, you know, and then say, yes, behind the scenes, you were barely surviving. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that was the hardest part to reconcile. And I think too, it, it really shows you can be going through personal turmoil. You can have trauma, you can have pain, and you still can have joy in there too. And I think a lot of people dismiss their difficulties. They dismiss their trauma because things aren't so bad. And, you know, I was, you know, our marriage was like on the brink, but there's always that, but like, but we're still getting by but we're still doing this. And I think so much of it is demanding more for yourself and not demanding more of what you think other people want or what you think you should look like, but just of how you feel. And, and, and so social media is a tough one for me because I have found so much connection and camaraderie, but it's required me to become more vulnerable. And, and that's how I found that when I was just posting all the pretty filtered stuff I was, I was projecting a version of myself that, that did not even exist. Yeah. 
And one of the things I love, and I've talked about this before, um, I'm a member of a couple secret Facebook groups for people who are struggling with drinking, trying to quit drinking or have quit drinking. And two of my favorites are the booze free brigade and she recovers together. Those are, those are the ones who are sort of my, my home group, if you will. And, mm-hmm. um, I do have a guide on how to find them and how to join because they're so helpful to me as even now, but especially when I was trying to quit drinking, but in a weird way, those women and a few very good men helped me and I shared with them, honestly, things that I never shared with other friends, even friends from high school who I'm still very close to because they understood. And there actually was some comfort in sharing with people who weren't in my everyday life and to have them say, me too, and you're a badass for getting a week and it's all going to be okay and kind of hang on it gets better. Yeah. And finding your people is so key. And when I, you know, I started in AA and walking into those rooms, I mean, that's the heaviest door you can ever open is the door to that church basement. Um, I expected to see people who looked nothing like me, acted nothing like me, felt nothing like me. I went, I went into a women's meeting. They were all women. And I figured that'd be the only connection. And No, everyone didn't look the same. No, everyone didn't look like me. But the stories I heard, as soon as someone opened their mouth, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, another person opened their mouth. I'm like, oh my gosh. There were so many more similarities. And I really just sat and I, and that's the first time I opened my mouth and it was like the floodgates. You know, I am, you know, and I was, I was sitting there crying just because I was so overwhelmed by the fact that I could say these things these things that were so locked away that I was so ashamed of. And I'm like, this is all of a sudden, these are my people, these total strangers, things I had never said to anyone. And it's so powerful when you find those people. And now I find those people everywhere now, just so funny because I, one thing I, which I talk about in my book is I had the one sober friend. Well, of course I wasn't looking for sober friends before. And now they're, they're all around me. So it's like what, what you kind of put out there is what you attract. And, and if you're not being vulnerable with people, you're not going to find the people you can be vulnerable with. And that's what I have found through this recovery process for sure. And when you're more honest, you get so much more support and it's incredible. And even when you're honest in a very, I do it in a very, well, forget it. I'm out. right? I, I'm a sober coach. I host a podcast. But in the beginning, maybe my first two, three years, I once I was comfortable, once I didn't feel like I was going to be sort of blown over by a feather, I would say, oh, I used to drink a lot, but I quit a year ago. And yeah. You know, sometimes it was just people would be like, Oh, why'd you quit? Um, and I'd be like, Oh, I I found that it was making me sleep terribly and it was pushing my anxiety off over the edge. And also it was a lot harder to achieve my goals in life, like fitness and health and all the things. But once you say that, other people open up. Like they either open up about like, oh yeah, actually it's something that I kind of have to keep an eye on too. And I've taken breaks or I also struggle with anxiety. Um, That's so, that's so hard. That's wonderful that you've done it. Or some people are like, oh my God, I could never do that. How, you know, Mm -hmm. what Jesus, you know, and, 
And for those people, I just kind of stop there and I say, oh yeah, I thought that too. You know, and you don't have to go further. But when when someone is genuinely interested, you know, you a woman invited me to a boozy book club and I struggled to say, I remember I was like, well, maybe I'll tell her I wanted to be friends with her, right? I liked her. She was a mom. She was cool. She was in my neighborhood. Um, We had sons the same age. And she was like, oh, I have this book club. It's with amazing working women. You would love them. You know, we drink wine. We do X, Y, and Z. And I remember going to my husband and saying, what do I tell her? I, um, I, I want to be friends with her, but I obviously cannot be a member of this book club. Like, why would I do that to myself? So maybe I'll tell her that I have running club at night, which I did, but not on that night. Or maybe I'll tell her that I'm not good at book clubs, which I'm not. I never used to read the book. Now I do, obviously. But um, he was like, why don't you tell her you don't drink? You don't drink. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, and this is from a husband who still drinks. and. So I did. And I said my thing about anxiety and sleeping and just feel better and all the things. And she was like, oh, I totally get that. And I totally need to take breaks because I need to keep an eye on it myself. And I've struggled with anxiety. And it actually made us significantly better friends and closer and broke the ice than it ever would have been if I'd just gone to the boozy book club. Absolutely. And it's funny because a lot of people ask, and I think assume if you don't drink, like you can't have friends who drink or you can't, I mean, but I'm like you, my husband is a drinker yeah, and he's a, he's a very, you know, once in a while drinker. And he, even at the peak of our drinking, he could leave half of a beer. That was just something I could never do. And that's not to say he will always be able to do that. I mean, we know it's a spectrum, like, but he knows he's seen me and he knows to keep a check on it. Right. But I think you know, all of my friends who were really core good friends before who still drink are are still my core friends. Now, those who maybe aren't, or, you know, nothing's bad has happened, but those who feel offended or confronted or are kind of afraid to hang out with me or afraid to invite me places. I know that it's more about their relationship or their worry, or they think because I'm around their you know, they don't want to offend me or, you know, it could be just a a hurt feelings thing or that it makes them confront their own drinking. And I know that because I have had friends come around who have said, I couldn't deal with the book at first. I couldn't deal with you not drinking at first. And now I have decided to cut back or now I did this cleanse and realized it's more of an issue than I thought. Or someone will come out six months um, after they've stopped drinking and said, oh, hey, you know, I saw an article you did and I thought I'd cut back and I haven't drank for six months. It's great. So you just never know what's behind it. And so just coming out of the gate and being honest, that's so hard at first. Just I to say, I don't drink because you know the next question is going to be why. And do I go into the whole story? Um, do How many reasons do I give? It's hard, but but you're right. It it can be so powerful and you just don't know who's listening yeah. um, and what an impact it can have on them. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, 
relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, absolutely. And not everyone does need to share, right? If that's something that is going to stop you from taking a break from drinking and, and looking at how hard it is and whether it's better and, you know, don't feel like you need to tell everyone or anyone, just yeah. know that you don't and also know that it gets easier and it gets better. Yeah. And it's no one, it's no one else's business. That's one thing I say too. Like if you really want to be snarky, ask them back, why do you drink? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and see what they say. Um, or, or if there's so many ways around it to say, you know, yes, I do. I drink water all the time or there, there's fun ways to joke about it. There's there's so many different things you can do and there's so many reasons not to drink. I don't want to be hung over in the morning. Who doesn't understand that? That There's, there's yeah. so many ways you can answer that question or yeah. just say no. No is a complete sentence. Absolutely. <laughs> and one thing, you know, you mentioned your husband and you mentioned that he still drinks, but, you know, can leave half a beer, which my husband is the same way. Um, but a lot of our marriage and our relationship in dating was about drinking. I mean, when you talk about the drinking highlights, you know, I've talked about this before, but a lot of our fun times were drinking, you know, going to minor league baseball games and getting a pizza and wine afterwards and sitting on the bank of a river, going to Italy, going to Australia and the bars in Sydney. I mean, drinking was fun and yet that was not my entire experience. And it was certainly not my experience at the end. And one of the things I thought was interesting later in your book, and I want to talk about it because I know so many women struggle with this, is that even after some real low lights, you know, a DUI, an affair, a suicide attempt, which you're so brave to be so honest about it. You write that in the beginning, it was hard for your husband. And that one of the reasons it had been so difficult for you to quit was because alcohol had become part of your love language and you had used alcohol to lubricate the marriage. And Mm -hmm. that's surprising considering that he obviously really wanted you to get better. And yet, tell me about that because so many women say, I stopped drinking. They are 75 days in. And a lot of people, it gets better. So I don't want to scare anyone off, but they're like, that connection is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's definitely up and down. And again, everyone has a different experience. But you know, as you're reading the book, it's so easy to see, oh, obviously alcohol is the problem. Alcohol is the problem. But when you're living it, really neither of us found alcohol to be 
the culprit. Even looking back, we're like, oh yeah, obviously it was a problem. We didn't want that to be the problem because it's something we both enjoyed together. It's something we both did together. In fact, I I don't know why this just comes up right now, but I remember at our wedding, um, we had a slideshow and and I probably only remember this because I was not drinking at my wedding because I was pregnant. Um, (laughs) Otherwise I probably would have been hammered, but someone said when they were watching our slideshow, oh my gosh, all the pictures were of you guys drinking and making out. It was pictures of us through our marriage or for our relationship. And at the time it was like, ha ha ha. Oh, I know. But it really was. It was just a, it was like a heartbeat of our relationship. And I know that is it's social for so many people until it's not, but we had to take out that part of it and, and find different ways to connect. And I know for a lot of women, like alcohol and sex go together. And when, especially when you have traumatic a traumatic past or traumatic, you know, sexual abuse or sexual trauma that can become a real pattern. And so it truly is learning to, you know, do everything for the first time without alcohol. So there's a relearning period. There's a re getting to know each other period. And there's also that period of, I don't know how to be around friends. I don't know where I could be. I didn't know if I could ever go to a bar again. Like, I didn't know. You don't want to test that out too quickly. I didn't know if there were certain people I could be around. You know, we went on a vacation pretty early on with with friends um, and everyone was drinking and I wasn't and I thought I'd be fine. And it was really, really hard for me. And that created conflict with us because here I am saying, no, you stay. I'm not expecting you to change. But then at the same time, I'm like, but, but stay here with me. Um, there's an adjustment. And so what I always say to people is like, don't, don't judge anything in, in the first year, at least. <laughs> that sounds like a long time, but our relationship has evolved so much. I think in any big life change, you know, cancer treatment, I mean, at the death of a loved one, there's so many things that can happen in a marriage that are going to change the dynamic of the relationship. And overall, it's made it so much better. But there are things that we've had to adapt. And I will say, Kale drinks so much less than he did when we drank together because he didn't realize, and I didn't realize how much he drank to connect with me because that's what I did. That's so this was something I really put in the marriage. And when I first suggested to Kale, you know, January 2nd, we went out to lunch and I said, I, I decided yesterday I'm going to, I need to stop drinking. And he was like, yeah, okay. I get, yeah, that's whatever you want to do, but are you sure that's the problem? (laughs) I mean, even still at that point with all those things that happened, because it's so hard to see when you're in it. And, and now obviously he can look back and be like, oh yeah, weird. You stopped drinking. And now all of those things went away. All those fights went away. All those weird, you know, things that happened with us went away. And, and so there, you know, there definitely is an adjustment in women I work with. This is something that comes up a lot that, you know, am I going to be able to stay married? Am I, how am I going to stay married to someone who drinks? How can I have a relationship? How can I date someone who drinks? And what I always tell people, it's like, whatever the, the relationship you had, like the real relationship comes out when the booze is gone. And so if there was a problem, it may come up. If there, if there's something that you need to talk more about, it may come up. And so you're, there's so many things that can happen. You know, your relationship could get way better. It could get worse. It could end. Who knows? But that's not a direct result of, oh, I quit drinking and it ended my marriage. No, it's I quit drinking and I was drinking over the problems that were already there. I think it just unearths the reasons that you drank in the first place. And so for us, drinking for connection 
we just had to find different ways to connect. I completely agree with that. And I've seen it. I mean, two things happen. One, clearly when you're struggling with drinking and most of us keep it really close to the vest because we're terrified of admitting it. And for me, it was because I didn't want to have to stop drinking. I thought that if Mm I told someone how much I was worried about it, that I would not be able to drink again. And I didn't want that to happen. So I kept it inside for years. And then you turn so much of that self-blame, self-hate, et cetera, on yourself. You blame yourself for everything. And because you don't want someone to question your drinking, you let a lot of stuff go, right? Because Mm -hmm. if I call someone else out, like my husband or my partner or my best friend, well, I got a lot of shit that is not perfect either. So I was at the same time, and I think my husband was too worried about our relationship. And, um, you know, I mean, we've been together since we were 22. So much of our lives were drinking. And, you know, as far as he knew, it made me really happy. And, you know, at the same time, I just, when I started to not drink, I told him it was just 100 days because that's all I could envision. That's all I could imagine. And that for him was, I think it helped to some extent because he was like, okay, it's a hundred days. And we, you know, had to negotiate some, mostly me changing where we went on dates, changing what we did in the evening because um, I, I didn't want to go to a wine bar or an Italian restaurant or, you know, we took a lot of like picnic dates, um, mm-hmm. reading books by the water, which actually was great. It made us feel like we were 25. Um, but also once I got to a hundred days, I said, okay, I'm going for six months. And he was like, okay. At that point, when I finally just said I was done, we'd done everything. Like he was yes. no longer scared that he could see it was better, that I was happier, that our life was more peaceful, that we could still have sex. And then occasionally he he does say to me, yeah, but you never rip off my shirt anymore. You know, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, had to be honest with me like, honey, I don't remember that. Like, I don't remember that. I would exactly. come in and out of sex, like while having yeah. sex. Like I was just like, oh baby, you're adorable. And you have to look at honestly, what were the lowlights, right? Because I'm always like, you know, my friends came over, we have so much fun with them. We had a little sleepover with our young kids and we started drinking at four. I put the kids to bed and passed out when the kids went to bed at 8.39. Just did not mean to, just happened Mm -hmm. um, in bed with them. And I missed the entire night. And how fun was that? My friends were over. We never see them. We planned it. I missed the whole night. They stayed up and looked at the stars and had a fire pit fire. And the next morning I was so hungover, so hungover and trying to play off why I missed it. Right. Oh, I was just so tired. I mean, so how fun was that? And what am I missing out on? At least I'm awake. Right. 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 You know, that's, that's just it too, is thinking about things like that. And it's easy to romanticize. Oh, we used to do this. We used to do that. But do I even remember that? And or do and, you and just think, see the pictures to right, talk about do I just see the pictures? Yeah. And, and when you're in a relationship with someone drinking, almost it was the equalizer, like, okay, we're both at the same place. We're both tipsy. We're both drunk. We're both whatever. 
And there's so much more connection that can happen when you're both sober. Yeah. And, and, and my husband was the same way because to him, so much of my drinking was happy. I looked happy. It looked like I was fun when I was drinking. So even though we would go on a vacation for a weekend, a weekend away, and there'd be six bottles of champagne in the fridge that he would buy because he knew that's how much I would drink during the weekend, even though he knew logically that is a lot for you know a 130-pound woman to put away in a weekend. Yes. He saw that I was happy. I was having fun. He so that dissonance, right? Like a lot of learning about alcohol alcoholism is that cognitive dissonance. And and realizing that that's still not okay and that we weren't at the same place. So now that that's one thing I talk about a lot is I want to be at the same place. I want to be, you know, present when you're present. And even if it doesn't look the way it looked before, the connection is so much deeper. Well, and the honesty and the support is so much deeper. I mean, I also have a lot of women who have conversations they've never had in their lives with their spouse, mm-hmm. and they've been married 15 years. And it it is deeper. It is more honest. Um, you know, everything is a trajectory. So if you drinking every night is taking you down a bad path, you being sober with your marriage, think about five years out, seven years out, 10 years out, it's going to be so much better. You're going to get so much more out of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you'll demand things for yourself that you wouldn't have before. Like yes. you said, it, it's, it's hard to complain about you know, your husband traveling too much when you have done so much damage. So if you're working toward your marriage, if you both have the common goal of the relationship, as opposed to this is what you do, this is what I do. Then we come together and, you know, get drunk and go on a date and have drunk sex like that. That's not connect. That's not what I see as connection anymore. And, and also the, (laughs) it's funny because I didn't even realize things that I liked, things that felt good, things that tasted good until I was fully sober. And because I had taken on so many of other people's things that they liked, things that they did, their activities, you know, it's like, wow, what really is my favorite color? What really, you know, it's, it's so easy when you get in that world to take on other people's feelings. And, you know, again, like sexually with your own husband who you've been married to for 15 years, you know, what, what do I like, or what was I just doing? Because I, you know, don't even remember, like, did we have sex last night? Like, that's not romantic. That's not connected. So I'm not the only one. (laughs) No. Oh God, no, you're not Trying to figure it out in the morning. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Um, So question for you, other than sex with your husband, what are some of the things that you figured out that you liked truly and, and things that you figured out that you were doing and you didn't like? I realized that I really like talking like deep conversations with people and it doesn't have to be someone I know really well. I like having a, like a good conversation that like stimulates my brain with, with somebody and something that they're passionate about. Like I love, and, and that's kind of how I went into coaching too. I, I consider myself kind of an accidental coach because again, I wanted to learn about addiction and all of these things and and how I got here. And then I realized I really liked working with other people. I liked listening to people and, and helping them with goals. And I don't like small talk. And, and, and I was in the small talk world because it was all about happy hours and let's go grab a drink, grab a drink here, grab a drink there. Let's talk about the weather. Let's gossip. 
you know, so those things, the surface things, gossiping about people was something that I did and I don't like, and I don't do anymore. Um, and I think that's one of the things that goes hand in hand a lot of times with women who get together in groups and it sounds like a stereotype, but it, it happens like it, it really does. Um, you know, I like being alone a lot more than I thought I, I avoided being alone at all costs. And if I was alone, I would drink. And so I've, I've realized solitude over isolation. There is a big difference of being alone in your thoughts and having them be productive and, and getting time for myself. I didn't realize how much I was numbing that away because like, if I went in the bathtub, I'd take a bottle of champagne with me and drink it. Well, that you can't remember it. You can't enjoy it if you're totally you know, hammered, but I, I appreciate, I guess it's that serenity um, during solitude, just like being with myself, being with my thoughts and not being afraid of those thoughts, not having shame floating around that you're trying to numb out. Um, and I like getting to know my kids and not just surviving them. And so much of parenthood is, it's hard. It's no joke. Like a lot of it is frustrating and it can be aggravating and thankless. But like you have these little humans living in your house who are actually really interesting if you get to know them. And, and it doesn't take a lot. You know, like you don't have to be in their face 24-7, like having these deep, meaningful conversations with them. But just my connection with them is so much deeper than it was before because I was really surviving the day. I was surviving getting through instead of stopping and actually getting to know them. And you know, that good. It, it's that's hard to admit. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people can, can understand that once you get to the end of the day, it's just, you just want to check out. Um, and you can, like, you can check out with them. You can say, let's go for a bike ride together. Or, hey, you want to watch a movie on the couch? Or, like you can have both. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't require substance. Well, so let's talk about motherhood because I know that is a big topic. You know, I'm kind of amazed when I talk to people and I I say stuff about it being hard or my kids annoying me or, you know, oh, Jesus, you know, whatever. They're lucky they're cute. I mean, get honest. And they're like, are we allowed to say that? And I'm like, hell yes. Yes. But you you write about, you know, you're posting pictures of doing arts and crafts. And in the images, no one could smell the alcohol in your breath or hear the slight slur in your voice. And I hear you on that. Um, I actually, I was never a, a crafty mom, right? I was a corporate working woman. And that's not just because um, I love to work, right? It was also because being a full-time mom is fucking hard and mm-hmm. to some extent thankless and they are adorable. But I have to tell you, when my kids were young, my favorite thing was taking pictures of them while they napped because that was the moment they were adorable and chubby and asleep and not requiring things of me touch, help, entertainment 24-7, right? So to talk to me about how motherhood contributed to your drinking and how it's changed since you stopped. I think my expectations were so high. You have this idea of what you're supposed to be, 
of how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to interact with your children and how they're supposed to look. And none of it's real. Like you can never meet the ex, whatever expectation you have, you can never meet that. And by the end of the day, it was like, why am I not more fulfilled? Yes, I love them. They're adorable. I'm so glad I'm a mom. And also, this sucks. Like both things can be true. And, and also, and, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also, and if you're a working mom, it's like now you've got to do all the things and juggle working and and then feeling guilty at the end of the day. Did I spend enough time with them? I mean, I am home all day, especially right now. I am home with them all day, every day. And it's still impossible to spend enough time with your kids. Truly, it, it really is. And so this this standard that we've placed on ourselves, I think is just just way too high. And so that made me feel, I always felt less than like my, and part of it too, it's like we had five kids and I always felt this, well, did we have too many? Gosh, I can't handle all of them. Um, they're not enough things. They're not enriched. They're not, you know, what I was comparing myself to was this unattainable standard. And I, and I would. Which it was would make- other people's highlights, right? It's the, you yeah. talk about the perfect Instagram moms who mm-hmm. have these very curated pictures of how are they all so thin and gorgeous? And even with the messy bun and making sourdough bread, like what the fuck? <laughs> you know? right. My kid's whining and I'm like, you know, you're not contributing to the family enough and the attitude. And, and I I have good kids, you know what I mean? But even my Facebook feed is a highlight reel of when my son cooks dinner and Nutella popovers and not like yesterday when I had to ask him 17 times to do the dishes and take out the trash. And I was so effing annoyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody posts even the most honest vulnerable, open people in the world. And I consider myself very vulnerable and honest. I still don't post pictures of me fighting with my kids. I don't post pictures of me nagging them to go outside because my God, it's a beautiful day in Seattle and you must spend time outside because that's what people do. That's what you have to do. You still share the pretty things. And gosh, I mean, the last two months, my Instagram is like pictures of my dog because I'm like... (laughs) Well, this makes me happy. This is nice. Well, and your and dog my, or my my cats, my kittens, you're like, no, no, I do love you unreservedly. <laughs> like that's yeah. the hardest thing because they don't, you know, they don't like they I don't know <laughs> why. So they They're don't talk pets. back. I think that's why. Well, and that's the thing. It's like it's not like I'm just home with my dog for the last four months, but but that's what I want to post right now. Like that's what makes me happy right now. So you cannot compare to social media. And I think talking to other moms and, and, and talking about the struggles, it's so important. And, and talking with in a safe space with other moms, because you will, you can find when you're you know complaining or sharing or whatever that it's like, oh, but you should feel so grateful that you have these kids. Okay. Yes. I'm grateful. I'm blessed. I'm so glad I was able to get pregnant. I have children. I know there's so many people who can't. That doesn't make it less true that it's hard. They are both equal and both true. Yeah. But so having a safe space with other moms where you can share that and be like, this is why I drank at five o'clock and it became four o'clock and three o'clock because I got to the end of the day, the house was a mess. I couldn't say one thing that I'd actually done and achieved. And my kids were still crying and 
what the hell? I couldn't even be successful in that. I tried to take him to the zoo the other day. I mean, perfect example. And the zoo is like kind of open right now. I was like, it's open? (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Kind of. Like you have to wear masks. And, you know, again, expectation. We used to go, kids would run around. It'd be a great outing. It's kind of a hike, but whatever we'd eat, it'd be a day. You know, we had to stay in a single file line, wear masks. A lot of things were closed. They couldn't touch anything. It became, it was like, why did I do this? I can't Like a here. death march. I wanted, right? Yes. I wanted them to have fun. And now it's like cattle call Southwest Airlines. Like what? <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I tried and I failed. That, that's, that's how, that's really what would start the five o'clock somewhere like routine. Because yeah. like, well, at least I can get home and I can have a drink. Well, now it's just like, you know, the zoo sucks right now. And now we know we're not going to go back until uh, the pandemic's over because it just is not for us. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so my expectations have been adjusted. Well, incredibly. and I think that right now, and I see this with a lot of women I work with and women online who are sharing honestly, and and these are not just women who drink or have quit drinking. These are all, all women. Um, with the pandemic, with quarantine, with stay at home and work from home, we have stripped away a lot of our usual distractions. And then you're left with the people you love, but also the people you live with and those relationships. And that's, you know, when you say putting a in your book, like putting a bottle of wine in your bag and heading to book club is easier then looking at what's there, it is hard, right? Because prior to this, we were so busy, right? Aren't, you know, I talked to my spouse about like the week ahead and the schedule ahead. When are you out? When is Hank's baseball game? Lila has ballet on Thursday. I'm going to pick her up after school and drive her there. Saturdays were baseball games, you know, all the things. And honestly, when they're in school and you have work and you have sports, I only spent like an hour with Mike and the kids in the morning and like really two and a half hours, three hours in the evening, four hours a day. And now it is 14. You know what I mean? And you're left with your relationships and your tensions and your challenges and your need to go get a latte without your kids and your need to have time alone and talk to adults. And that is hard. Like all that stuff stripped away. Yeah. Yeah. The autonomy part of it. Um, Yes. Just to all of a sudden not have six hours a day without your children when you're used to it. And not that I, you need that much or, but it's, it's just the change. And, and all of a sudden, what do I do with this? Like what, how can I, you know, at first it's kind of the, how do I recreate school and make it equitable and make everyone And it's like, no, I cannot. I am one person. I'm not five teachers. I'm one person. And what can I do and what can I not do? And some things just have to go. And I've adjusted my expectations so much. And and at first, I, I was so worried about, especially my second grader, he'll be going into third grade, but um, it was so hard on our relationship because he thrives in school, in groups, in an environment with the teacher. And, and he hated learning at home. He hated me being his teacher. And you can't zoom with a second grader like that. It's just, it, you can't oh, I have a kindergartner. Learning. I know it was oh, like an hour Lord. once a week that they got. And this was a couple weeks after school got out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, 
ridiculous, right? Like he's pressing the buttons. They're all talking to each other. Oh, is that your cat? Oh, what's that in your background? It went, show me your toy. It's like, oh my God, it's so much more management. You know, I had to get to the point where I said, just said, I, my relationship with him is so much more important than, than second grade. Like if he has to do second grade over and we don't hate each other, like that's where I got to the point. Like, I don't want to have to choose between doing exactly what they're doing in school and loving my kid. Yeah. Because there's no question there. And so I've had a lot, a lot of things go, a lot of my own expectations on myself and what I think my kids should be doing, what I think they should be learning. Um, because again, I'm, I'm one person and, and I feel, I do feel blessed with the ages that they are because, um, you know, that a lot, they can stay home. You know, my youngest is eight and he, if he's with an older sibling, he can stay home. He's, they're, yeah. they're totally good staying home. And so I can take one of them out. And so our thing really this whole summer, since we got the dog, it's like, let's go to a dog park. You know, who wants to go? And I'll take one or two of the kids. We get time to chat and connect. We get outside. If no one else does anything all day, like, oh, well, we'll have our day tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so the amount that this has brought my expectations on myself and my own kids down, I think no matter what happens next year or the year after or whenever we're out of this fucking thing, um, <laughs> I, I do think we'll be at a, such a better place. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it is, you know, our relationship is the most important thing. Well, and you do get to have empathy. I mean, you need to both for yourself and your spouse, as well as your kids. Like this is hard on my 12 year old. Like he, he's used to seeing friends and being independent and walking between classes and having lunch with 12 year olds and going to sports. He is not used to being with his mom and dad and five-year-old sister. She'd kill me. She's six all day, every day for freaking five months. And my five-year-old mm-hmm. is so, or six-year-old, Jesus, she's going to kill me, um, <laughs> is so social. She's such an extrovert. She's, um, I call her extra. She's got so much energy mm-hmm. and she's constantly like, play Barbies, play dolls, go on the trampoline with me, play zombie tag. And, you know, I I work all day and I'm tired yeah. and I just want to yeah. sit. Um, and yet she's been sort of ignored all day long. Mm-hmm. So having empathy for them is important too, but you're completely right, lowering the bar. And it is a realization that we don't need to be as busy as we are. Like we, we don't need to be as busy in our life, do what we're doing right now, ever. I would never not have daycare or sports mm-hmm. or whatever, if not for this. And it is a gift because we are more peaceful in moments. And they, I think, are learning that I'm human too because I have to be honest and be like, you know what? I just need an hour for myself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, realizing like my son is like, you work so hard, mom. You know, I'm not puffing myself up. It's just he never realized that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do everything. I think they're seeing things from so many different sides. And I think it's different for each kid too. You know, my oldest is almost 16. And so he's able to go out and distance very well. He's, he's seen a lot of friends um, more than I would have liked him to, but, but there's that like boundary if like letting them go and he has to make his own choices and they're good about masking up and staying six feet apart and biking, you know, that's what they really do. Um, so he's been able to maintain a lot of that. Um, you know, my 13 year old is, is more of an introvert and, 
And so I think initially it was like, cool, we get to stay home, fine. Um, and not realizing how much that school interaction forced her to be social and and how much it's needed. So I think it's it's making me realize and have empathy for what their individual needs are, you know, and, and finding a way to fill that. Like if you're not getting to see friends, like let's go to Target or something. Like yeah. let's go for a walk. Let's like, what can we do? Cause there's so much we can't like, what yeah. can we say yes to right now when we have to say no to so many things? Yeah. And I know we're getting to the end of our time, but I did want to talk to you about work and drinking. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, you know, prior to being a coach and an author and everything you do now, you were a very successful, um, you know, skincare direct sales person. And drinking is a big part of that, as is the social presence, right? And the women you work with and mm-hmm. the conferences who was really driven around drinking. Um, and that's part of this sort of sales of getting people on yep. your team too. So tell me about that and not only the glamour, but also what was behind that, that wasn't pictured. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's really how I got into it, right? I, I met a friend for wine and this is what she was doing. I trusted her. I wanted to drink more wine. I wanted to do more of this, right? What we were doing right here. And I signed up and I was good at it in the sense that I was drinking a lot and I was meeting a lot of people who were drinking and I was, I could, you know, talk my way out of a paper bag when I was drinking. Like I, I, you know, I, I had no, um, I had no problem. I could have sold anything if you, if you gave me enough wine. And, and so this was really, it got to be toxic because I would get to the place where like, I would work with people and not remember the conversations. Um, I wouldn't remember, like I, I would have people's financial information and you know, not, not remember it. Um, I had some situations like at conferences where I was blackout drunk and yet I was still achieving. So in, in the eyes of other people, it's like, wow, you're so successful. Oh, you're doing so great. And, and so that, again, that dichotomy, it was like alcohol was fueling the fire. Um, and yet I thought I kind of needed it. It became like it's, its own, you know, it was just self-fulfilling. I, I needed it and, and it was also damaging me, but then I needed more and then it was damaging me more. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I quit that I really could look back and have a better view of, of what I had been doing and how I had been using it and, and how damaging it really was. And again, all these things I was achieving, it's like, oh, I earned this car. This is awesome. Let me pose by this car. Can't believe you earned a car. That's I know, right? And the next day I got pulled over and got arrested for a DUI after the next day, you know, the very next day. Yes. Oh my God. And so did I post that on Instagram? No, (laughs) but that was one thing I talked about. And it was interesting going through this process because um, you know, I had been a stay-at-home mom for so long. And when I started working again and started achieving, and then I had this rise to success and then I got sober, um, I really went through that process and, and shared it as I was going through it. Like, okay, I, this is what you saw and this what was what is what was really behind it. Um, and it really forced me to get honest and and also get honest about what I wanted to be doing. Like, was this the place I wanted to be? Was this the line of work I wanted to be in? Um, was this really true to who 
is this true to who I am? And ultimately, that's why I transitioned into coaching because it just wasn't congruent anymore. The lifestyle, selling that lifestyle, like I just couldn't get behind it anymore um, since I wasn't participating in it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, again, same thing, right? I was, um, I remember, you know, back in the day when I was probably 30, I was working at Getty Images. I was the global director of product marketing for our entertainment business, right? Which was so much fun. You know, I went to Toronto Film Festival and I went to uh, Fashion Week and, um, you know, Sundance and also very clearly remember that I went down to LA to our LA office to interview some customers who were extra TV and entertainment tonight. And back at age 30, that was the be all end all. And, you know, showed pictures um, and shared that I was, that I was um, at, you know, out to dinner with coworkers in LA. We didn't have kids, right? These awesome restaurants and did not share that I don't remember getting to my hotel room that night. Like I would set my alarm before I went out and I'm shocked that I always made it out back to my hotel room. Like clear, you know, I was in a gray out, right. I was functioning. Mm -hmm. People didn't know that I, I didn't even know that I didn't remember it until the next day. And I vividly remember, and I was a new director, like I needed to prove myself going into the LA office and throwing up five times in the bathroom in my office and trying desperately to be quiet about it, which is pretty Mm -hmm. screwed up, and driving with my coworkers to extra and entertainment and being terrified I was going to throw up in the car. Like just, I mean, it was a nightmare and shooting myself in the foot, um, you know, and super embarrassing. And then I did it the next night too, because, you know, WTF. Mm -hmm. And I remember taking a cab with my coworker to a guy um, who was married and had kids um, to the LA airport. And I was so nauseous and, um, okay. Even after quitting drinking, apparently I get nauseous in cabs. So didn't realize that. So I, this is, it was definitely because I was drinking, but also apparently I get car sick a lot, but we were driving to the LA airport and we were pulling up, you know, I was so, so trying not to throw up. Like I was like counting the seconds till we got out And there was huge backup. It's LA and we were just about to pull up and I literally threw up in the cab and I didn't have a bag and I threw up all over myself. Like it was a nightmare. And, you know, I was just, I mean, whatever, like it was humiliating. Like, I don't even know. And I was like, gosh, I'm so sorry. I just, oh my God, maybe I have the stomach flu. Like, you know, he knew I was drinking the night before. Like I was 30. Mm. I was a director and I got out of the car. I mean, just, he paid the bill. Like it was just literally one of the lowest moments of my life. And I got my suitcase. Um, I got the New York times, which was in a plastic bag. Why the fuck didn't I have that in the 
seat with me <laughs> and went to the bathroom, changed my clothes, put all my clothes in the New York Times bag. Um, and I remember talking to my husband, my mother, and my sister. And I was like, do you think he'll tell anyone? And my husband was oh. like, you fucking threw up on yourself. I'm pretty sure he's going to tell someone. I was like, maybe he'll think I'm pregnant. And he was like, weren't you drinking like a crazy person the night before? Yeah. And I was like, so the advice I got was from my mother, um, always carry a throat bag with you, which to this day I do because I get nauseous. But the <laughs> advice from my sister was, this is why you don't share cabs with people. I mean, just the level of like, this is a Just problem. Drink. It's not yeah. your drinking. Let's solve the other problem. So exactly. You know. Let's look everywhere else. Exactly. Everywhere else. Exactly. And so everybody has low lights. They're posting about being working in LA and hope I'm sure not everyone is throwing up on themselves, but there's some shit like you're like, why can't I drink with everyone else? Why can't I go to the bar in LA? Why the fuck do I need to be sober? And it's like, you don't know. You don't know. Oh. You don't. You absolutely don't. So as we're wrapping up, what advice do you have for women who are terrified about quitting, but also like they feel like their highlights online are part of their life and part of their career success and part of, you know, it makes them feel better. It's comforting to look at all your highlights. Like, what advice yeah, do you have if they're in that place? My advice is you can still have those and you will still have those. And and whether you can believe it or not, they will be better because no matter what, even the best the best possible life you have when you're drinking is still brought down a little bit because you numb those negative things, you numb the the bright beautiful things too. And you know, to be able to post photos from a trip to France, you know, and people are like, oh my God, how do you go to France and not drink champagne? Well, because it's awesome. Like you get to experience everything. You remember everything. You can take better pictures by the way that you could then post on social media if you want to. Um, It just amplifies, it amplifies all those fake highlights and they're not fake anymore. Yeah. It's it's, truly, um, you know, I would rather experience the lower lows and and higher highs. Um, but the lows still haven't been as bad as they were when I was, when I was using. Yeah. I took, and I love that you said that. Cause I mean, since I've quit drinking, I've gone to New York on business and I've traveled to Hawaii mm-hmm. and Mexico and Amsterdam and Greece and Croatia, um, and all the places. And it is good. It's so mm-hmm. good. Um, Our first trip after I stopped drinking, our first like big vacation with just us without the kids was to Munich for Oktoberfest. And so I always tell people and I say, if you're worried about the vacation you have coming up, let me tell you, I went to Munich. And how, how long was it after you quit drinking? Uh, you know, it was about nine months after, um, but it was one of those things I was holding out for. It's like, I can't quit until after Well, I had. That is so common. I can't quit because I have this trip. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I did because A, I got all of that sobriety under my belt beforehand, but it was so incredible. I, I mean, I would have I, I would have been hung over the whole time. I would have been drunk the whole time. I would have had a miserable time. I really would have. Yeah. I went to Venice and Dubrovnik, Croatia 
when I was four months sober and mm-hmm. it was terrifying. And I was so happy I didn't drink because I was like, I don't want to remember this trip as the one I relapsed on. And I mm-hmm. love that trip. I loved it then. And mm-hmm. I love looking back on it now because it was beautiful. It was hard, but I remember it all and I'm proud of myself. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. It's so powerful. So my advice would be, you know, don't assume that you won't have those highlights when, when you stop drinking or if you entertain stopping drinking or if you cut back or whatever, you can have an even better life. Yeah. I think that's the perfect place to end this. How can people get in touch with you? I know you're an amazing coach. You lead the Seattle She Recovers Sharing Circle that I go to um, every week. And it is one of my sort of sober touchstones during this pandemic. We actually meet more often than we used to. Um, when we got together in person. So how can people follow you, get in touch with you, read your book? So my website is highlightreallife.com and that's R-E-A-L. I'm on Instagram at highlightrealrecovery and uh, my book is Highlight Real and it's on Amazon or wherever books are sold. That's awesome. And we will put all those links in the show notes. Emily, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.